is uh, about joy. The Apostle Paul has found himself in prison. He's found himself in extenuating circumstances, and he keeps saying, I will rejoice, I will continue to rejoice. And then last week we talked about how to uh, enjoy our life despite the fact that we may have conflict with other people and how to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. This morning we're turning a corner and we're going to be talking about a, a different subject that the Apostle Paul addresses here in the two verses that Pastor Brad got through reading. So again, I'd invite you to pull out those message notes and just follow along. And can we pray, please? Lord, I'm asking this morning that you'd help me to, to share your word. It's your word, Lord. Make it plain in our lives. Help us to apply it to where we live at. Life has been happening here in our own back of the back of the woods, so to speak, and around the world in other nations. We ask that you give us wisdom and insight and understanding again. Speak to us, Lord. Help me to share this word. In Christ's name again we pray. Amen. Pepe Rodriguez. Pepe Rodriguez was one of the most notorious bank robbers in the early settling of the West. And he just lived on the other side of the border in Mexico. He regularly crept back into Texas towns to rob banks, and then he would return to Mexico before the Texas Rangers could catch him. And these frustrated lawmen, these Texas Rangers, were so embarrassed by this that they illegally one night crossed the border into Mexico. And eventually they cornered Pepe Rodriguez in a Mexican bar that he was at. Unfortunately, Pepe Rodriguez could not speak any English. So the lawmen asked the bartender to translate for them. The bartender explained to Pepe Rodriguez who these men were, and Pepe began to shake with fear. The Texas Rangers, with their guns drawn, told the bartender to ask Pepe where he had hidden all the money he had stolen from the Texas banks. Tell him that if he doesn't tell us where the money is right now, we're going to shoot him dead right on the spot. Now the bartender translated all this for Pepe Rodriguez. Immediately, Pepe explained in Spanish that the money was hidden in the town well on the outskirts of town. And they could find all the money by counting down 17 stones from the handle. And behind the 17th stone was all the loot he had stolen. Thousands and thousands of dollars behind that 17th stone. The bartender then turned to the rangers in English and said, Pepe is a very, very brave man. He says that you're a bunch of stinking pigs and he's not afraid to die. <laughs> I know that's kind of corny. Sometimes, sometimes it's true. It's so true. Sometimes things get lost in translation. Things get lost in translation. And never was this more true. Never was this more true in the particular subject that the Apostle Paul addresses this morning. 
Now, there's a lot of confusing advice coming out these days about how God changes us. How does God change us? Some people say, if it's to be, it's going to be up to me. And this is the activist approach. If it's going to be, if, if my life is going to change, it's all going to be me 100%. Other people say when it comes to God's changing and how God wants to change our lives, we just have to wait on the Lord 100%. And this is what I call the passive approach. What am I supposed to do in order to grow? Is it all of me? Is it all of God? Or is it a combination of the two? Paul deals with this particular issue in these particular passages of Scripture, these verses that Pastor Brad got through reading. You know, when it comes to our spiritual growth, the fact is, is that, is that God wants to work in our life. And the fact is, is that God has a part to play, a big part to play, and we have a part to play. And the Apostle Paul uses two phrases to explain this uh, cooperation. Notice verse 12 one more time. Look at it with me. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, notice, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Would you circle the phrases there, work out and work in? Work out and work in in your message notes. Work out is your part. Let me repeat that. Work out is your part. Work in is God's part. We are to work out what God is working in. Let me repeat that. We are to work out what God is working in. Now, this doesn't say to work for your salvation. It says to work out. The Bible indicates, and it says that... Uh, that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, not by the things that we do. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by our works. These are already Christian people to whom the Apostle Paul was writing to. They're already Christians. God's already saved them. He's done the work in their life. But he is saying that you're to develop what God has already done in your life and you're to work out the implications. If you're born again, you have to start working on your part. What do you do in a physical workout? Since Kathy and I have been here in John Day, a short time after we came here, we bought a membership at this little gym down here on the back side of what used to be the Ford dealership. You know what I'm talking about. And over the course of the time that we've been working out, I've seen a number of you in there as well, doing all kinds of different exercises. The problem with me is, is that it takes twice as much work to get half of the results. When I was younger, I could work out and I would see a lot of results right away, but it takes twice as much work as it used to. And I, I've said this before, but the problem is, is that as I'm approaching, uh, going through middle age, I'm having furniture problems. My chest is dropping through my drawers. And, and it's difficult. It's difficult to even maintain what I have. What do you do in a physical workout? You do a workout not to get a body, but to develop the body that you have. Isn't that true? You don't work out to get a body. You, do, you work out to develop the body that you have. When you work on a puzzle, 
um, you already have all the pieces. You just got to put it together. When a farmer works the ground, he's cultivating it. So not work for, but work it out. We are to work out what God is working in. Notice then he says, work out your salvation. Look at that phrase with me right there in verse 12. Work out your salvation. Now, I want you to circle the word your, because truly you have a part to play and nobody else is responsible for your salvation. We are all responsible, each one of us, for our salvation. It's not the pastor. It's not the lay pastor. We are responsible. It says your salvation. We accept personal responsibility for our spiritual growth. It's not somebody else's spiritual growth. It's your spiritual growth individually. And God wants us to work out the implications of this individually in our lives. Now, notice it also says, with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Now, that's an interesting use of words. And right at the outset, I want you to know it doesn't mean shaking in your boots at God. When he talks about fear and trembling, he's really talking about being in awe of God. And it means (laughs) taking God seriously. Taking your spiritual life and what you need to do in your spiritual life very seriously. We're talking about life and death consequences. We're talking about eternal life. And so when he says, work it out with fear and trembling, he's saying, take it seriously. Nothing is more important than our own spiritual growth. Take it seriously. Why? Notice the phrase. Why is that? For it is God who is working in you. And that's God's part. And that word works right there. We get the word energizer or energy. Now, we've all seen those commercials for the energizer bunny. And literally translated, that word work means energy or energizer. So God is an energizer, you might want to say, for change in your life, our lives. He says, I'll give you the power to do what you want to do, what you need to do, and what you know to do is right. I will empower you. I will energize you. And God is an energizer to will and to act. He's an energizer. Well, notice God's part in changing me. You know, God uses three different tools. He uses three different tools to change us. The first tool is he uses the Bible. Now, I want you to notice 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and notice this particular paraphrase, the one that I have in your message notes. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us to do what is right. It is God's way of making us well-prepared at every point. Listen to this other translation. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. In other words, God's Word changes us. It shows us how to get on the path of righteousness. It shows us when we get off of the path of righteousness. It shows us how to stay on the path, and it shows us when we get off, and it shows us how to get back on. All Scripture is inspired by God. Did you know elsewhere, the Apostle Paul wrote that uh, Scripture is like a double-edged sword cutting uh, cutting to bone and marrow? It teaches us everything we need to know. It corrects us. It shapes us. It helps us. I um, remember a number of years ago hearing a Gideon testimony. 
we're all familiar with the Gideon organization, aren't we? Those people that place the Bibles in the motel rooms and hands them out to schools and in neighborhoods and hospitals. And this man stood up at one of those Gideon meetings and he said these words, I paraphrase. He said, I was in the hotel room by myself with a pistol contemplating of taking my own life. I actually had the gun barrel in my mouth when I cried out to God and I looked in the drawer, found the Gideon Bible there and turned to John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said, God's word convicted me and overwhelm me, and I fell on my knees and cried out to God. It transformed my life. There are all the stories like that represented in this room, and how God continues to shape us and to mold us, and how he speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. That's one of the tools that God uses in our lives. The second tool that God uses to change us is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. God puts his spirit inside of us when we become Christian people. And this is where the power comes to change. I want you to notice Romans chapter 8 verse 11. I think it's in your message notes. Once the spirit lives within you, he will bring to you your whole being, new strength and vitality. Circle the word strength and vitality. God will bring power into your life. Did you know the Holy Spirit is God himself? God himself. He's in spirit form. And when you commit your life to God, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. As the Spirit of the Lord works with us, we become more and more like him, more and more like Jesus Christ. And the number one goal is to make us into the image of Jesus Christ, not necessarily to make us happy, but to get us to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. There was a fellow pastor a number of years ago that was uh, many, many miles away from home. A well-known pastor, author, teacher, conference speaker, thousands of miles away from home. I think he was somewhere in Canada. And he said he was tired and he was drained from a busy but productive week of his speaking and he got on the first floor of the hotel where he was staying at. And before the doors closed, in walked very, uh, two very attractive young ladies. And he said between the first floor and the seventh floor, he didn't think about his wife. He didn't think about his children. He didn't think about the church that he pastored. The Holy Spirit brought to his mind the scripture when a man soweth, he reapeth. God will not be mocked. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the comforter, who comes alongside and enables us and helps us and gives us insight and understanding and counsels us. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sins and convinces people that Jesus Christ is the answer. God changes us through his word and through the Holy Spirit. 
I want you to notice the third way in which God uses to change people, and that's circumstances. Circumstances. Problems and pressures and headaches and difficulties and stress always gets our attention. Somebody has said that God speaks to us in his pleasure and he shouts to us in our pain. He uses the circumstances of life. And I want you to notice Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29. And notice this paraphrase. I believe it's in your message notes. To those who love God and are called according to his plan, everything happens to fit into a pattern for good. For God chose us to bear the family likeness of his son. Did you know that nothing happens to us as a believer without God's permission? Now, the Lord may not be the instigator of things. He's not the instigator of evil. When we get in accidents, when we get diseases, he's not the instigator of those things. But the Bible says that he allows these things to happen in our lives. Often, these things are not good. We don't say praise the Lord because we get in a car accident. We don't say praise the Lord because we're sick or because we're throwing up. But in the midst of these things, in the middle of these things, as we go through these things, as we come out on the other end, God always makes good out of the bad. And this is for the believer. He always makes good out of the bad. Where are my problems coming from? Did I cause them? Did the devil cause them? It really doesn't matter where the problems are coming from. No matter what the source is, God can use it in our lives if we let him. All things can fit into a pattern for good to make us like Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate goal, to make us like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to react like Jesus, to have Jesus' thoughts, to have Jesus' attitude to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's God's ultimate goal for each one of us. And often God allows pain and circumstances in our life to accomplish those things. Now, uh, if God is going to make me like Jesus Christ, then I think he's going to allow us to go through some, some things that Jesus went through. Isn't that true? Isn't that logical? If God is going to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, then he's going to allow us to go through, through, through some things that Jesus went through. In Jesus' earthly ministry, we know that he was lonely at times. He will allow us to be lonely at times. We know that Jesus was tempted. We will be tempted. We know that Jesus was tempted to get angry, and he was tempted to blow up. And we will be tempted to get angry, and we'll be tempted to blow up. God allows all of these things. Jesus was tempted in all various manners. In fact, in Hebrews 5.8, it says, Jesus learned obedience through suffering. How do you think that we learn obedience in our life? Another parallel passage, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 says, Jesus was made perfect through suffering. How are we going to be made perfect? God allows various circumstances in our life, and he works for good. So again, he works through his word, he works through his spirit, and he works through circumstances. Now, for example, let's say that you have to learn a lesson of humility. So you see what the scripture says. The scripture says, be humble, be humble. Before honor is humility. You read the word and then you ask God to help you to be humble and help you to die to self and to get rid of that ego. That's God's ideal way of changing us. But if you don't learn to be humble from God's word, 
often God will allow you to go through a humiliating circumstance. I like to say this, church. The Lord has no problem. He has a thousand and one ways of jerking the rug from underneath us through various circumstances. How many circumstances do we have? We have 24 hours a day worth of circumstances. Now, if you read your Bible six hours a day, and if you prayed six hours a day, and if you were abiding in Jesus, and he was abiding in you six hours a day, you still would have a lot more what? A lot more circumstances. God uses circumstances. He does. He uses circumstances in our lives to change us. How many of you have been sick this last winter? Would you raise your hand? Okay, those of you who aren't, I think you're fibbing. No, I'm just Good for you. You isolated yourself from people, most likely. That's how you come. How come you're not sick? I was sick recently, and I had that sinus drip, and I had that sore throat, like some of you have had. And in the height, I shouldn't say the height, in the middle of all that, at the worst point, it hit me on a Saturday night before Sunday morning, the week before last. It was miserable. It was awful. I spent half the night just <coughs> trying to clear my throat. You know how that drip, 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 constant drip is right there. And I begin to ask myself, why? Why? But that's the wrong question. You, you'll never know why. But the most important question is, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? What are you trying to teach me? Is there something you're trying to teach me? Because God uses circumstances. And I racked my brain. And the only thing I could come up with, and I, and, and I don't know if this is exactly right or not, but sometimes God speaks to me in a dumb way. I mean, I'm dumb, and he speaks to me in a smart way, but I don't get it always. But finally it came to me. Duh! I spent six out of seven nights that week going out every single night. It was all good stuff. It was all ministry. And I only slept a handful of hours every single night. And I got sick. Psalm 23. He makes me, makes me lie down in green pastures. If you don't take care of yourself, if you don't rest... God will allow you and me both to get sick. Circumstances. God uses circumstances. That's the only way that some of us will ever, ever get to the place where we get the rest that we need in our lives. Well, that's God's part in changing us. Notice that we have a part to play. My part in changing me. And there are three choices that will help you to change. First of all, we can choose what we think about. We can choose what we think about. And did you know that growth is not automatic? It doesn't just come passively. Change is a matter of choice. And, and I can choose what I think about. Proverbs 4.23. Be careful what you think. Your life is shaped by what? Your life is shaped by your thoughts. You aren't what you think you are, but what you think you are. And this is not Robert Schuller positive stuff. This has been around for thousands of years. This is what the Bible indicates to us, that our lives are shaped by, we, by what we think. And I can choose what I think, and that will help me to change. Now, your thoughts don't just direct your life. 
They are your life. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, 23 and 25. Ephesians 4, 23 and 25. Your mind must, must be renewed by a spiritual revolution so that you can put on the new self that has been created in God's way. God changes us, and how he changes us, it begins with us thinking right thoughts. When I became a Christian, I repented. In fact, did you know the word repented means to change? And In Greek, it literally means to change your mind, to change your heart. And so when I became a Christian, I began to change the way I thought about God. I began to change the way I thought about myself. I began to change the way I thought about other people. I began to change what I thought about our culture and about our world. There was a change. There was a, a, a mind change. Look at what Romans chapter 12, verses two, uh, verse 2 says. It says, be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. And if you want to change, it really begins, your part is to change what you think about, to change what's happening. And psychologists have found this out 2,000 plus years after the fact. They discovered that the way I think determines the way I feel, and the way I feel determines my behavior. Let me see if I can illustrate what I'm talking about this morning. How many of you remember Don Johnson, that movie actor from Miami Vice? Okay, some of you do. I never watched the show that much, but I know enough about it to know that Don Johnson had a almost a $400,000 boat in that movie, in that series. Can you imagine? A boat that cost that much, it had all the bells and whistles, that big, huge boat, and he was driving around in Florida, you know, and the Florida Keys and all the area. Now, those boats, I'm told, have an automatic pilot. Did you know that? They have an automatic pilot. And let's say that we're in this big, huge boat that Don Johnson used to drive, and we were heading east, and we have it on an automatic pilot heading east. I'm told that you can take that steering wheel and you can turn it around slowly with a lot of effort and a lot of vim and a lot of vigor, and you can head 180 degrees the opposite direction, and you can head east. Uh, excuse me, did I say east or west? The opposite direction. The opposite direction. You're heading east, automatic pilot, and now you're heading west because you've taken that steering wheel with all your strength and with all your power. But what happens? You get tired. There's tension, there's drain, there's physical fatigue, and you get to the place where because of your own effort and because of your own strain, you let go of the will, and where does it go? Automatically back toward the east. And you go off the diet, you start smoking again, you start reading the materials that perhaps you shouldn't be reading, whatever. Why? Because sheer willpower doesn't work. It does not work. The Bible says change starts in the mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to change the automatic pilot. If you change it, the direction changes easily. And what is your automatic pilot? Well, you answer the question. It's just like me to be. You finish that phrase. It's just like me to be what? And that's the agenda. And that's what you said in your life. One of the things you ought to start choosing to think about is God's word. Jesus said, the word is truth. If you want to change, you start filling your mind with scripture. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. What does it say? 
How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the seat of scoffers, but he delights in God's word day and night. He meditates on God's word, and he will be like a tree firm, firmly planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in its season. You meditate on God's word. You memorize God's word. You study God's word. You apply God's word. Psalm 1, verse 19. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Joshua 1, 8. The secret of success is to meditate on God's word day and night and you will be successful. You begin to think on God's word. Years ago, I was at a district assembly. Every year in the Church of the Nazarene, on your particular region, you get together for a district convention and you have 50, 60 churches and 50 or 60 lay people and pastors there and the pastors give their reports. And this, and they're only supposed to be two and a half minutes and some of those guys are really, really long-winded. I feel sorry for the churches on Sunday morning. They have two and a half minutes and they go on for 10 minutes. But this one fellow stood up and he said, this has been a very, very difficult year for me. A very, very difficult year. And he went and he began to name all the stuff that happened to him that this year. I mean, terrible, terrible health-related problems. Problems with his children. Problems at the particular church that he pastored. He, he revealed those, some of those things. And you could just feel this heaviness uh, come down on the whole congregation because we all felt so bad for this particular pastor. But then he smiled. And he said, Paul said, I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice despite the circumstances I'm in and God's been teaching me. And he said to me, get into my word. And he started memorizing the entire book of Philippians. And he had almost memorized the whole thing in that particular year. And he smiled and he said, it's transformed my life. There is nothing like the Word of God memorizing, meditating, uh, applying it, studying it, that can transform a life like nothing else. Philippians 4.8, it says, think on these things, and it tells you the kind of things to think about, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is praiseworthy. Colossians 3.6, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Uh, again, Joshua 1.8, the secret of success is to meditate on God's word day and night, and you'll be successful. The second way, the second tool, the, the second way that I can help myself, so to speak, I can choose to depend upon God's spirit moment by moment. I can choose to depend upon God's Spirit moment by moment. And this is where the power comes in. And Jesus gave this beautiful illustration of this in John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. Notice he says, take care to live in me and I'll live in you. Another translation says, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Notice, for a branch cannot produce fruit when it's severed from the vine. We understand that word picture. It's an agricultural word picture. Nor can you be fruitful apart from me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him shall produce a large crop of fruit. Did you know that a branch is totally dependent upon the vine? I love fruit. You love fruit. 
How many of us have had good pineapple here of late down at Chester's? I got one the other day, and it was really juicy, and it was really sweet. I love pineapple. I love bananas, oranges. I, I love all of those things. And did you know that a fruit, when, you, when we bite into fruit, there are some times when it doesn't taste that good. There's sometimes when the fruit is rotten. There's sometimes when the fruit is not ripened like it should be. And we all understand that and we know that. A branch is totally dependent upon the vine. When it's cut off from the vine, it doesn't bear any grapes. It doesn't bear any figs or whatever. A branch cannot produce fruit by itself. It's got to be connected. And Jesus is saying that's the way we have to be connected with God. Fruit is an inside job. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. How could it be, how would it be if I planted a dead old tree and two weeks later before har harvest I tied a bunch of apples to it? You understand what I'm trying to say? But a lot of Christians are living their life this way. They're trying to tie the good works in their life to look as though they're making progress when it's something they picked up on the outside rather than on the inside. It's an inside job. Love, again, joy and peace and patience. And Jesus said, you have to abide in me and I'll abide in you. He's talking about I can choose to depend upon God's spirit moment by moment. How do you know if you're depending upon God's spirit? How do you know you're abiding in Jesus? It, I think it goes back to your prayer life. What are you praying about? Whatever you're praying about, that's what you're depending upon God for. Did you know that? Whatever you're praying about, that's what you're depending upon God for. Whatever you don't pray about, you're not depending upon God for. What does it mean to depend on God? It means to pray continually about your decisions, about your feelings, about your relationships, about your deadlines, about your purchases, about everything. Whatever you want God to bless, that's what you pray about. Now, you've heard me say uh, in our church before, and I like to say it one more time, that for some reason, um, as I've grown older, I have a more difficult time sleeping. Anybody have a more difficult time sleeping? <clears throat> you know, it wouldn't be anything for me to sleep nine or ten hours when I was in college. And then over the years, it becomes less and less and less. And I find myself going to bed at 10 o'clock, and often I'll wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. i got to go to the bathroom. And so I'll go to the bathroom, and I'll come back to bed, and I'll lay there. And I'm twiddling my thumbs. But I begin to start using that time in more of a productive way. I said, Lord, I'm awake. What can I pray about? What's bothering me? Is there something that I need to pray about? And I'll begin to pray, and I'll begin to go this way, and go that way, and go this way. And often, nine out of ten times, not always, but nine out of ten times, after about, what, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, then I'll go back to sleep. But I always wake up, and, um, and I have learned to, that's a good time to talk with the Lord late at night, early in the morning, asking for his guidance and help and intervention and whatever is bothering me. The third way, the third way, I can choose. I can choose my response to circumstances. I can choose my response to circumstances. We started out a couple weeks ago saying that the Apostle Paul found himself in prison, trumped up charges. He never thought that he would go to Rome and he would never thought that he would be in such circumstances. We know that's the context. He thought he would go into Rome and he'd have a big crusade and everything would turn out like the community church at Antioch. 
Everything went great for Paul there. Thousands of people were coming to know Christ. There were instant, instantaneous healings. People were being filled with the Spirit of God. It was a wonderful time for him at Antioch. He never envisioned that when he went to Rome it would be in prison. But there he is. And he chose, despite the fact that he didn't have any privacy, despite the fact that he's chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he says, I will continue to rejoice. It's not what happens to us. It's how we look at the problems. If I am going to be happy, thinking to myself, I'm going to be happy when all my problems are taken care of, then you'll never be happy. Because once you get rid of these problems over here, you're going to get another set of problems over here. So he says, no, I choose to rejoice. I will rejoice despite the circumstances that I find myself in. And as Christian people, this is what we can do. We can choose how to respond to the circumstances. I want you to look at James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. When all kinds of trials crowd into our lives, don't resent them. Circle that. Don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test our faith and produce in us the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until the endurance is fully developed and you will become people, what? Of mature character, people of integrity with no weak spots. Circle the word process. You want to learn endurance? You want to learn character Welcome problems into your life. What kind of masochist would do that? There are so many things beyond our control. You don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen to you next week. You don't know what's going to happen to you a month. The only thing you can choose is your response to the situation that you find yourself in. That's it. Viktor Frankl, remember that fellow? The famous psychologist? He was imprisoned in this concentration camp in World War II. He said one day the Nazis came in and they stripped him of all his clothes, they stripped him of all his shoes, they stripped him of even his wedding ring. He's standing there bare before them, They've taken everything from him, even his family. But standing there in front of the Nazi soldiers, he realized that there was one thing that they could not take away from him. And that was his choice to respond to the circumstances that he found himself in. You cannot choose what's going to happen again next week, next month, next year. We don't have that choice, but we can choose how we're going to respond to those situations that we find ourselves in. What really matters in life is not what happens to you. What matters in life is how we respond to the situations we find ourselves in. Why is it that one person can go through illness, can go through death, can go through loss, and that one person can become bitter and shriveled up, while another person can go through loss, and that other person can go through death and go through all these things, and instead of a stumbling stone, it will be a stepping stone. Instead of bitterness, it will be maturity and growth. It's how we respond. 
And this is our part, how we respond to the circumstances of life. I want to close with a very, very familiar story this morning. I want to close and I want to talk with you in the remaining minutes we have about Joseph. Joseph, if he had a problem, it was the fact that he was immature and he bragged out loud his dreams to his brothers. He had no impulse control for his mouth. God revealed to him these wonderful dreams. His brothers were already jealous of him. And Joseph said out loud to his brothers the dreams about them bowing down to him. And that was the final straw that broke the camel's back. They dragged Joseph out and they threw him into a pit. And then they sold him into slavery. And then... He is brought into this Egyptian household by the name of Potiphar. Now, I have to tell you, while he was thrown into the pit, while he was thrown into slavery, he kept trusting God. He kept doing the things that God wanted him to do. He didn't even become bitter. It wasn't a stumbling stone in his life. He kept trusting. He kept doing the things that God wanted him to do. And Potiphar saw the leadership in this young man and raised him up to become the steward of his home. And we know the rest of the story. Because Mrs. Potiphar wanted Joseph to sleep with her. And she pursued him and hounded him until one day she got him alone and tried to pursue him. And literally Joseph streaked out of there, the first streaker in the Bible. He streaked out of there. And Mrs. Potiphar falsely accused him, told Mr. Potiphar that he tried to take advantage of her, and Potiphar, Mr. Potiphar had him thrown into prison. Pit, sold into slavery, prison. But Joseph, despite his circumstances, he continued to try to be positive, trusting God, being obedient to God, doing the things that the Lord wanted him to do. Through a set of circumstances, he interprets a dream. Pharaoh himself eventually elevates Joseph to become second in command next to Pharaoh himself. The prime minister, you want to say, of Egypt. One of the most powerful kingdoms on earth at that time. Think about it. Circumstances. And Joseph and all this continues to not become bitter and uh, become half the person that he should become. He's continued to trust in God, continued to be obedient. One day his brothers come before him, the same brothers who threw him in the pit, and they said, Joseph said to himself, I'm going to test them. And he did test these people, and they changed they passed the test. They had changed. And you remember that moving scene when Joseph brings his brothers and brings his family in. And the scripture says that he weeped so loud that the attendants in the next room, in the next house, all around him, heard him crying and wailing. 
and he embraced them. And you remember, after a number of things that were said, you remember what he said to them. You remember? You meant it for my harm, but God meant it for my good. The saving of many lives. How we respond to our circumstances is more powerful than the circumstances we find ourselves in. Always has been and always will be. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray together?